God. And so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this morning and uh, prepare our hearts. Father, thank you so much for this day and for all that you've done for us. Father, we love you so much. And uh, we're just so thankful for everything that you've given us and that you do for us. And uh, Father, for the protection that you give us. And we do pray that you would guide us and direct us in this moment, in this time. Father, that we would leave here different than when we came because of your word. And Father, it is your word to your people through your messenger. And so I just pray that your will would be done here today. Help us to take the principles that you've given us and apply them to our lives so that we might be uh, better investors into the kingdom of God. Father, we love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for being here today. And if you're online watching, I thank you for that as well. And uh, we have that opportunity. I would encourage you all to try to share the service if it's been a blessing to you. And uh, share it with someone else. But if you would, please take your Bibles. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 again. Colossians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want you to imagine something with me. Uh, I enjoy imagining things. I have a very active imagination, sometimes too active. And, uh, but I want you to imagine something with me. What if we could all live in a world in which the secret to great wealth was spelled out for you step by step? What if we all lived in a world where the, how you build the greatest amount of money was all laid out for you, every detail? I'm talking every single detail. You need to get a job at this place. You need to save this much money a month. You can spend your money on this, this, this. No coffee, none of this. You, you just constantly, every single detail. And then when you invest, when you make enough money, then you put it into this company. You do this with it. And you just every single detail is just spelled out for you immensely. I would enjoy that. I don't know about anybody else. But I would enjoy that thoroughly. I am an instruction follower. If I'm building something, all of the men here will think I'm a sissy. Because when I'm building something, I follow the instructions. I read them. I, that's the first thing I look for in the box is the instructions. I don't care if something is labeled A, B, C, or D. Give me the instructions so I can read them. That's just who I am. But in life, I want to build, I mean, there's probably not one of us here that says, I do not want to be rich. Probably not one. But if we did, if we want to be rich, and they had it all spelled out for us, wouldn't that be awesome? Now, be honest with me this morning. Is that the reality of life? Is life always spelled out for us exactly step by step? No, the reality of life is that it's not. It, it, it doesn't work like that. It, doesn't, it, it would be so much different. The problem is there's so many different factors. There are so many different variables in everybody's lives that there is no single one exact recipe for building great wealth. But let's be honest. We all want it. We all want it spelled out for us in detail. We think like the less thinking that I have to do, the better. Right? The less thinking that I have to do, the better. But this is the exact reason why many of us don't gain great wealth. The less thinking I have to do, if I just had it all spelled out for me, then I would have great wealth. But the fact of the matter is we don't have great wealth, and we probably never will. Because if we're honest, we're not really in the mood to find out what it is. We're not really in the mood to dig and understand what it takes to invest well and to give our lives well. We just want to live our lives the way that we want. 
We want to buy this. We want to buy that. We want to spend our money just, if you will, living. Just living. We want to make easy decisions of our impulses. If I'm driving by a Tim Hortons and I get a hankering. I love that word. I get a hankering for coffee. What am I going to do? It's an impulse, right? I'm going to stop and go through the drive-thru and get a coffee because that's an impulse buy. If I'm walking through Canadian Tire and I see something that I, quote, need, right? I don't care how much it costs. There's an impulse in me that says, just buy it now. We all have that. We all want to buy the things that we want to buy. We all want to do the things that we want to do. It's all a part of us. But we all know people who are extremely successful. In fact, they're all extremely wealthy. And we would ask them, if you're brave, you would ask them, how have you been so successful in your life? Many of us will ask that, and I hope you do ask that. I've asked many people, how have you been so successful in your life? How have you built great wealth? And all of the people I've asked, they have never handed me a sheet of paper with a step-by-step instruction of how they live their life. Never once. Every time I ask, I'm waiting for it. Come on. But you know what instead they give me? They just give me principles. Here's some things. Work hard. Be wise, right? Those are all principles that we live our lives by. Again, here's an interesting thought. Every single person on the planet is different from every other single person on the planet. We're all different. And guess what? Every one of our circumstances is different than everyone else's circumstances. So there is no, if you will, one size fits all. There isn't. There is no, there's nothing like that because every person is different, every circumstance is different. So the question is this, well then how in the world are we going to live our lives? I want you to understand that this is not a how to build wealth class, physical, physical wealth. But we're talking about investing and in an investment we look at people who have done well in this. And so let's understand that we are investing in the kingdom of God. How are we going to live our lives? If there's no step-by-step relayed instructions, if you will, a recipe for how much of this and how much of that I'm supposed to put in, how in the world am I going to live my life? How am I going to invest well in properly into the kingdom of God? I want to give you a message entitled simply, Apply These Principles. Just simply apply these principles. Life is not step by step. Life does not have everything laid out for you. But there are principles of life that if you will apply them, you will see great returns. But before we can ever apply these principles, we must understand a little bit about our background, our past. We have to know who we are or who we were in order to know where we're going. We must understand that. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 21, if you would, with me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says this, And you, stop right there, that's you and me. And you, the Bible says, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. This is a very important verse. 
You think, Pastor Jones, why is this so important? I've read this verse before. And often what we do with verses like this, we just kind of skim by them. Just kind of read over them. And it, but it's important to understand who we were. Notice with me just simply two words in verse 21. Alienated and enemies. Alienated and enemies. Alienated means to be away. To be away in person or in mind, physically or mentally. It means simply not participating. Not participating. I wrote this message before Pastor Holland ever uh, started reading this book. And it's interesting that he got up and said that you must, you need to participate in the service. Now, you can participate in the service physically, but you're not mentally engaged, right? You can do that. We would say this, he's here, but he's not all there, right? We would say that. You're here, but you're not all there. Your mind is somewhere else. So we have alienated or were alienated from God. We were alienating ourselves from God. We were away from God, physically, mentally, spiritually, away from God. We are not participating in investing in the kingdom of God. So we're basically, if you will, we're sitting on the sidelines and we're not in the game. Alienated, away. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but now not only were we alienated, but the second word is enemies. So not only were we not participating in investing in the kingdom of God and in God himself, but we were enemies of God. You know what an enemy is? And an alienation is a way enemies are against. Alienation is a way enemies are against. And so not only were we not investing in the kingdom of God, we were doing everything we could to tear the kingdom of God down. We were against God. Enemies. So how did we do this though? How are we enemies? How were we enemies? Excuse me. Well, I want you to see it says, the Bible says, in your mind by wicked works. In your mind by wicked works. So what are these wicked works? What are these horrible, no good, very bad things that we do? Well, Romans chapter 1 and verse 29 through 31 tell us. Now, the context of Romans chapter 1 is a world in which the creation started worshiping the creature more than the creator. They had gotten away from God. They didn't want to retain God in their minds. They didn't want God at all. Enemies of God. And look what they did, verse 29. The Bible says this. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Now, maybe a little bit later you can go back through and some, define some of those terms. But I want you to notice this is also not an exhaustive list. But it's interesting how many things are on this list. These are things that we would do. There's not one of us in this room that can say, I have never disobeyed my parents. Not one of us. 
disobedient to parents is one of the wicked works that is working against God, enemy of God. So wicked work. We've all disobeyed. We've all done wrong. And we were constantly living this way. Constant. It was natural to us. Constantly working against the kingdom of God. And most of us in the world, most of us before we knew Jesus Christ, would say, oh, I was never against God. I was never against God. But again, if we just disobeyed our parents, then that means that is against God. Not only that, we did all these other things. We were doing the opposite of investing in the kingdom of God. We were tearing it down. In fact, in tearing it down, we were investing really into the kingdom of the devil, kingdom of Satan. But the question is this. How do we move away from this? How did we get across this? How did we uh, uh, come to a better life? I want you to notice the end of verse 21. The Bible says, yet now hath he reconciled. You notice the verse started with you, and it ends with he. I want you to understand, reconciliation had nothing to do with you. Reconciliation had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with you. Everything to do with Jesus Christ. But look at what else verse It continues, the sentence continues in verse 22. How did he reconcile us? In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. He did it in the body of his flesh through death. Here's what happened. Jesus Christ died for you. And now you are reconciled. Reconciliation is a banking term. In which you had a debt, but your bank account has been reconciled. It has been brought to zero. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have debt, okay? I, I have a mortgage. And I would love, love, love for that to be at zero. I would love someone to come along and just reconcile my bank account. I want it to be so bad. I hate being in debt. I want to be mortgage-free and have a reconciled bank account. No debt, no credit card debt, no line of credit, no, no nothing, no car payments, nothing. Everything reconciled, brought to zero. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. You see, we were full of sin. We were uh, alienated. We were enemies. We had a debt. You know what Jesus Christ did? He reconciled us. Guess what he did? He brought us to zero. We have no more debts. Look at, look at the end of verse 22. How, why did he do this? To present you holy, pure, no debts, unblameable, no debts, and unreprovable in his sight. There was nothing against God. There was no debts whatsoever. He reconciled us. He brought our bank accounts to zero. No longer do we have to worry about the payment for sin. Jesus paid it all. And so therefore, the song says, all to him I owe. I want you to understand this. We now need to move away from these debts and begin investing our lives into the kingdom of God. Let me give you a statement. 
You cannot invest when you have debt. You cannot invest when you have debt. Listen, if you have credit card debt, and you have a line of credits, and you're paying off a car, and you're doing all these different things, and you're trying to then invest something. Listen, you can't. When your bank account is at zero, though, guess what? You get a fresh start. Now I get to begin looking forward and begin moving forward into the things that God would want me to do. So let me give you three principles on how to invest. And I hope that you'll apply these principles. Number one, ruthlessly keep the faith. Ruthlessly keep the faith. I love this word. We just read a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Ruthless, just mean. Just be mean about it. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible says this. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He says, listen, just continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Ruthlessly keep the faith. Now there will be many that hear this. Ruthlessly keep the faith. And they will think this. I have to ruthlessly make other people believe what I believe. That's what we think of sometimes when we think of keeping the faith. I have to ruthlessly make every single person believe the way that I do. There's no doubt you've met a Christian like that. No doubt you've met someone who no matter what you believe, no matter what your thought process is, no matter what Bible verses you have to back up your thought process, you are wrong and they are, going, they are ruthless about it. Not kind whatsoever. You are wrong. In fact, you're probably going to hell because you believe that. Right? Like it's just ruthless and you, they force their opinions on other people. Listen, this is not at all what the Bible's talking about. This is not at all what the Bible is talking about here, about continuing in the faith grounded and settled. We're not supposed to beat our beliefs over other people's heads. But we have a responsibility here. You see, our natural instinct, it comes natural to us, is to go back to who we were. Our natural instinct is to be alienated. To sit on the sidelines. Our natural instinct, unfortunately, is to be enemies of God. We are in the game, but we're not paying attention. You say, Pastor Jones, I've been reconciled, so I'm in the game, but we're just not paying attention. Let me illustrate with baseball. Maybe you've seen a little league game. What do you see when you see a little league game? Well, inevitably, you'll see something like this. Little boy or little girl out in the outfield with a glove on their head, spinning around. Do-do-do, playing games. just Or they're sitting down, picking up dandelions and blowing them all off for all the grounds crew to have to weed out later. They're playing in the sand or throwing it up in the air. Whatever they're doing. Listen, they're in the game, but they're not in the game. Right? You, you ever heard the term, get your head in the game? You're physically present in the game, but they're not in the game. They're not playing the game. And, and some of you might say, well, yeah, they're alienated, but they're not really enemies, right? Well, the fact of the matter is this. Those types of people who are in the game but not in the game are actually hurting 
what the, the whole team is trying to accomplish. I remember growing up in, in high school, we would play volleyball. And a volleyball, volleyball is a team sport for the most part. And I remember we, had, we were playing this one game, we were playing in a tournament, and uh, we had this girl that was with us, and she kept saying, you guys keep stealing the ball from us. And I just made up mine, I'm not going to steal the ball from her ever again. I know some of you ladies, that's, we get that all the time, I understand. So we're in a tournament, we're in it to win it. We don't play games to lose, we play games to win. Especially me, any game. I don't care if it's skip bow. I'm in it to win it. I don't care if I'm playing against my three-year-old daughter. I'm in it to win. Ruthless, right? So I remember this very particularly. In, in, in volleyball, every member of the team is important. And so here's the problem, is you often trust the people on your team. And so after she said that, I said, all right, I'll trust you. Next ball over, missed. Next ball over, Missed. Next ball over. Missed. Now let me ask you, was she helping our team or hurting our team? Hurting. So in fact, she was helping the other team. That doesn't sit well with me. I won't tell you what I did, but we ended up winning that game. So I want you to understand, listen, Though you're in the game physically, you must be in the game mentally. Now let's contrast this with Major League Baseball. I want you to think of a Major League Baseball shortstop, the captain of the team. Major League shortstop is in the game. He's calling out, hey boys, we got two down. Your next play is at first or second. Let's get this batter out. He's constantly chatting with his team, making sure everybody's in place. And he's down, he's ready. He's got his glove ready, ready to go. At the crack of the bat, he's moving. Well, let me ask you, is he in the game? 100%. He's all in. He is ready. He is waiting. He is everything. He's invested in the game. There is nothing going to distract him. No dandelions are distracting him. He's ready. I want you to think about something in Major League Baseball. One moment of distraction for any one of those players. Here's what it could cost them. It could cost them the game. It could An error. A missed fly ball. A missed grounder could cost them the game. It's so important to never lose your focus. This keeping the faith, this ruthlessly keeping the faith, is a ruthless amount of focus staying in the game. A ruthless amount of focus of keeping your faith, not letting dandelions distract you, not letting entertainment distract you. Not letting what happened last night distract you. Not letting the crowd distract you. Not letting what's going on in this world distract you from the faith. Keep the faith. Be ruthless about it. Listen, there's not a major league shortstop in the world that I know of that gladly lets the ball go by him for the sake of the other team. You think, how rude, how dare he throw that guy out at first? That is so mean. That's the point of the game. That's the point of the game. Hear me. The point of the game is to ruthlessly keep your faith. Don't let anything distract you. 
Don't let anything in. This is, this is what Paul is referring to. In fact, he says this, it's keeping you grounded and settled. Just boom, here we are. I'm not moving. This is where we're going. Jump down to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. You see, there are people out there that will try to, to deceive you with enticing words. They'll try to draw you away. They'll try to alienate you again. Jump down to verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, there are people out there, a crowd, if you will, that is trying to get you off your game. If you've ever been to a major league baseball game or any baseball game, back behind the batter, you'll hear, hey, batter, 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 hey, batter, batter, batter. What are they trying to do? Distract. Let me tell you something. There are people in your lives There are people in this world that are trying to distract you. They are trying to take your faith away from you. If you've never seen it before, please see it now in the current circumstance of our world. We want to fight about everything else. Forget it. Keep the faith. Ruthlessly keep your faith. Don't let it in. Don't let that distraction come in. Ruthlessly keep the faith. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. The Bible says this, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Just keep it. Be diligent about it. Don't let anything in. Don't get distracted. Ruthlessly keep the faith. But number two, we must radically live like Jesus. Radically live like Jesus. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. The Bible says this, and as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you have received him, you've been reconciled the same way that you received Christ through faith, the same way, so walk in him. Walk in Christ. I want you to jump back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's a hope of the gospel here. Don't be moved away from that. Keep focused on it. Be radical about it. Now, there's probably not one of us in this room that would say, I want to be radical. Right? When we hear the term radical, it makes us uncomfortable. It's not something that we look and and put up as somebody that we really want to be like. But let's face the facts for a minute. The word radical means extreme, drastic, or fundamental. Extreme, drastic, or fundamental. None of us want to be labeled as extremists, right? None of us want to be labeled as, oh, it's a little too drastic. We, We just don't want to be like that. We don't, we don't want to be labeled as that. But again, let me give you some information. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Every single one of these guys are radical. 
or were radical. Radical. They were better than anyone else in the game of basketball because they were extremists. They lived, breathed, dreamt about basketball. When everybody else was leaving the court for, after practice, they would stay another hour. When everybody else was at home spending time with their families, they were bringing their families to the court. When everybody else was sleeping in, they were getting up early. Every, when everybody else was playing video games, they were studying the game of basketball. Understand, they are extremists. They're drastic. They did drastic things. They wouldn't eat certain things. They wouldn't drink certain things so that they could be the best athlete they could. They're radical. And all of us look to them and say, wow, they have great talent. Oh, I just wish I had that much talent. There's no doubt they have talent. But there's no doubt in my mind that there are people in this world that have more talent than they do. Far more, in fact. But these men are the extremists. That's why they're the best. Because they're extreme, and all of us look at them and say, whoa, I would love to be like that, but we don't want to be radical. We don't want to be radical about one thing. I'll give you another couple examples. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. You know what? Those guys are radical. Radical about technology. They push the limits of technology. They'd lay in bed at night just thinking, what can we do next? What can we do next? And they invested and gave and put their life's work into technology. And now we have Microsoft and Apple. Because somebody was radical. And again, we look at them and say, wow, if I could just be like them. But none of us are willing to be radical about anything. We're not willing to be extreme in anything because we don't want to look weird. And I, I get it. I'm with you. I understand. We all envy the best, but we don't want to take, give what it takes. If we are going to invest in the kingdom of God, understand we must radically live like Jesus. I mean radically. We must radically live like Jesus. After all, this was the whole intention of God. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestinate what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God, before the world began, wanted you and I to be like his son. To be conformed to his image. To be molded, to be shaped in the image of Christ. Listen, we had our bank account brought to zero. That made us much more like Christ than we ever could have on our own. Impossible to do on our own. But guess what? Now we continue to have the opportunity now to invest and to invest. And guess what? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ now. Because he reconciled our bank accounts. And if we will just live like Jesus, that's what God intended. That's who he wants us to be. It is, again, for this reason that we ought to be what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7 says. Look again. Colossians 2 and verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him. Rooted, I mean, deep down. Deep down. 
bringing in nutrients from Jesus Christ and built up. I just think of it like this. Just, I mean, think about a tree. Every part of a tree is wood, except for the fruit. Hear me. Listen, if every part of me is Jesus Christ and I abide in him and he abides in me, rooted and built up, guess what? I will bring forth much fruit. Everything we ought to do ought to be Jesus Christ. We ought to think. We ought to eat. We ought to sleep. We ought to dream Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. This He's the, the, the ground that I stand on. He's the air that I breathe. He's everything to me. As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O oh God. Hear me. How much do you want Jesus Christ? How radical are you with him? Say, Pastor, you know, that's just not me. Then be content to play Little League Baseball. Because you'll never get any further until you become radical. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not content. Hear me. This is just me testifying and I want somebody to keep me accountable to this. I am not content with my bank account at zero. I'm not content with just my sin being paid for. I want so much more. I want to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break through nor steal because I want my heart to be in heaven. I want my goal, everything I work for, I want to live for Jesus and live like Jesus radically, radically different. Maybe it's time we just stop being, quote, normal. Get off the fence a little bit and start being radical. Not, not in a let me beat you over the head, but just radical. Radically different. There's an old saying. It started in the 1800s by a book written. The saying is this, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? C.H. Spurgeon actually preached an entire message around that. It came back up in the 1990s. Somebody kind of revived it. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus react to my boss the way he's talking to me right now? How would Jesus react in our current climate right now? How would Jesus react when I have the opportunity to tell someone about salvation? How would Jesus act? How would Jesus act in keeping his faith? How would Jesus act? How would Jesus act? What would Jesus do? I want you to write this down if you're in the habit of writing things down. Living radically like Jesus will give you radical riches in heaven. That's the, that's the point, right? We're investing. Listen, these men that I, I've already talked about, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all of them have physically radical riches. Riches that you and I can't even imagine. And here they are, enjoying their benefits of a radical life. Listen, we are not laying up treasure on this earth. We need to radically live like Jesus so we can have radical riches in heaven. 
not only radically live like Jesus, number three, I want you to see this, relentlessly give thanks. Relentlessly give thanks. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7 again. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith as you have been taught. Watch this now. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. I love this. When we are ruthlessly keeping the faith and we are radically living like Jesus, we can abound within that by relentlessly giving thanks. By relentlessly giving thanks. Most of us think, well, if I live like Jesus and, and I you know, try to keep my faith, I'm basically just living in a box. I can't do anything. What, what a boring life this is going to be. And that's your view. You view things that way. You think, oh, what a boring life. I, I can't go do this, and I can't go do that, and it's going to be frustrating, and this, that, and the other thing. But listen, it's all about perspective. Perspective. If you have children or have had children, what you typically do or what should be done is you give them guidelines. Basically, you draw a box around them. You can and cannot do these things. Have fun within the guidelines. It is proven that children who have guidelines, who have rules, do far better in life than children who have no rules at all. Because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to structure themselves. They don't know how to obey. And listen, this world has rules. This world has regulations. You're all wearing a mask today, right? Well, we, and hear me. We don't like them. I get it. But there's a reason why you can only do 100 on the 400 series. Some of you are thinking, who goes 100? There's, listen, there's a, there's a reason for them. Play within the rules. If everybody plays within the rules, guess what happens? The game is fun. The game's a blast. Listen, hear this. If we are living completely and utterly, ruthlessly keeping our faith, living radically like Jesus, then you know what we're doing. We're investing in the kingdom of God. There's opportunity to give great thanks through this. Oh, man. Man, I'm laying up treasure in heaven. What's to not give thanks for? Let me ask you this question. What is holding you back from giving thanks? What is holding you back from giving thanks? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible says this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Concerning you. Inside of Christ Jesus, the will of God is for you to give thanks in everything. So inside of ruthlessly keeping your faith, and inside of radically living for Jesus, give thanks. I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that we don't have something to give thanks for. It's that we just don't want to give thanks. We just don't want to. You say, Pastor Owens, why would I not want to give thanks? Here's what I believe. 
because we're not completely satisfied with everything. See, we live in a consumeristic mentality, do we not? Consumeristic where if you're not 100% completely satisfied with every product and every service that we provide, then you get to complain about it. That's the way we live. And many of us do that, right? We all, I mean, oh boy, we could go a long time on this. We live like that. That's our society. That's the way we're built. But instead, if we just think, listen, everything works for good. Romans 8, 28. We read verse 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If I can, everything works together for good to those who are invested in God, love God, and are called in working to his purpose. So when you're invested in God, everything works together. Let me illustrate. I want you to think of the greatest investor ever. You may not have a name, but just think about it. Think about your ideal investor. Man, he has made millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. There's not one of us in here that would say, well, he's got a million reasons to be thankful. Let's be honest. If you had a million dollars, would you be thankful? I would be. Anytime anybody wants to give me a million dollars, I'm here and I will thank you. Just incredibly thank you. Right? That's the way we think. If I just had, a, if I just had that, I would be thankful. What we don't see, what we don't see is the handfuls upon handfuls upon handfuls of bad investments. Bad investments. Things that he lost sleep over. He's kicking himself for the bad investments. But instead, this good investor, instead of those bad investments making him quit, he used those bad investments to learn something. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Oh, I see a pattern in what's going on here. I'm, I'm going to avoid that. And you know what it did? It taught him how to make good investments in the future. And so that good investor can now look back on those bad investments and be thankful for those bad investments. Because had he never gone through those bad investments, he would have never been in the place he is now. Listen. There are many of you that have gone through some very difficult times of life, I have no doubt. Some things that you wish you would never have to go through again. Let me ask you, are you thankful for them? Are you thankful for them? There's times in my life where I've gone through something and I look back and I'm like, ugh, I don't like that at all. I want my money back. But then God says, listen, in everything give thanks. And I began to realize some things I would have never learned about myself had it not been for those bad times. Listen, the reason we don't give thanks is because we just don't want to. We're selfish. We want everything to work to, for, for my good. My, what I determine to be good. But God's not that way. God says, listen, give thanks in everything. Some people say it this way. Fail forward. Fail forward. Listen, most of us, when we fail, we're like, oh, that's it. We're done. Right? Just done. 
and we stop and we fall backwards. Listen, if you fail forward, and every time you fail, you keep moving forward and you keep moving forward and you keep moving forward, you're learning something. The Bible says this, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. He gets knocked down, but he keeps going forward. He gets knocked down, but he keeps going forward because he learns from everything. Listen, we aren't going to be satisfied with everything in our lives. You're not going to be. But if we will relentlessly give thanks, find something to give thanks for. I will not go through this situation without finding something to give thanks for. We will abound and abound and abound and abound, and abound, and abound, and abound, and abound, and abound. We'll just keep getting bigger and better. We'll abound in the kingdom of God. Let's read that verse again. The Bible says, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. What are you going to give thanks for today? These are three investment principles that, when applied, will give you the greatest return on investment that you could ever imagine. You will have, quote, wealth untold. Oh, not physical riches. But you'll have riches in heaven. You'll be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Again, in this case, in this case particularly, it is impossible to invest while you're still in debt. As I look across this room and maybe even online, there may be someone here that says, I have never accepted Jesus Christ as the payment for my sin. I have never understood Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand today that you are still in debt. And you cannot invest. And you still owe that debt. However, Jesus paid the debt for you. He paid it all. You just have to accept it. Nowadays, we accept e-transfers all the time. It's, it's literally the click of a button, accept. Jesus paid it. He sent his only begotten son. He sent you the payment. All you have to do is accept it. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He buried it in hell. And he rose again three days later and he left your sin there and he rose again conquering it all. The question is, will you accept that free gift? Will you know Christ as your personal savior? Will you let him reconcile your bank account so that you can then take it and invest it? If you've already accepted Christ, you've been reconciled. What are you doing with it? What are you doing to invest in eternity, in the kingdom of God? Give thanks. Ruthlessly, ruthlessly keep the faith. Protect yourself. Radically live like Jesus and relentlessly give thanks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And Father... I pray that if there's one that's listening to this that does not know you as personal Savior, that has never trusted you to take away their sin, never trusted you to pay their debt for them, Father, I pray that today they would do that. They would understand that.
no, without a shadow of a doubt, that they are on their way to heaven. Father, I pray for the rest that know you, that have been reconciled. Father, I pray that we would invest. Oh, Father, please help us not to sit in these pews week after week and be alienated in our minds. Help us, help, please help us never to be your enemy and commit wicked works. Help us to be invested. Help us to constantly invest in the future. Father, we'll give you the honor and the glory for it. And we'll cast our crowns back at your feet because you are worthy. Please help us. Give us the strength to do so. And we pray all these things in your name. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would.